0: People, my name is Scott Morrison. You've found your way to another Fudson on Film podcast, and you're very welcome to it. I'm joined today by my good friends Greg Eastman Hello. and Drew Tavendale. Hello. So today we have decided, for entirely obvious reasons, to discuss some of the prime cuts of Arnie's cinematic career, some prime fillets of big fat slabs of muscle. Mm, mm, mm.
1: So. Mm, Austrian smoked oak. <laughs>
0: It's just delicious. (laughs) Yeah. So um, he has had the honour of starring in, I guess, some of her favourite films from the mid-80s through to the mid-90s, so it's that and primarily his action output that we'll be talking about today, largely because his comedy output wasn't so great and we're not going much further than 1984 because, well, there's a bit of a drop-off in quality after (laughs) that. You
1: you say his comedy output wasn't great. Have you not seen End of Days?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen that comedy eraser. (laughs)
2: Oh dear.
0: So, um, with no particular agenda in mind, shall we start off talking at the very earliest of his career? I mean, obviously, 1984 is not the start of this guy's career. He's been around for a long time, but we're not going to talk about stuff like Hercules in New York because, well, (laughs) it's... As a concept, that's the kind of thing you read about and go, well, that'll be funny. You buy it on VHS, you watch about 10 minutes and go, this is not funny at all. And, and I'm glad that one's never made the transition to the DVD era. Let's just yes. leave that one in the oh, past.
1: Oh, but it has, unfortunately, <laughs> oh underneath God, that no. terrible, that terrible. what was it, Hollywood, um, Hollywood DVD label or whatever, <laughs> the one that gave you Circuitry Man and whatnot, Scott. <laughs> Um, oh I think you'll find if you go down to uh, CEX you'll be able to pick up a copy of it for about 10p on DVD
0: Just at least 11p more than it's worth <laughs> Oh dear And I forget exactly when but of course probably the biggest film he'd been in before then would have been uh, Conan the Barbarian which is a good fit for his uh, character um, and as much as a big, large beaty, monosyllabalic uh, protagonist who just runs around hitting things uh, but the first film we're actually going to talk about is somewhat similar in terms of his <laughs> t- in terms of the Arnie performance, but it's the Terminator, which we think we've touched on really briefly in the Technoir episode, um, about like a year and a half ago. But I uh, don't think we've ever went into any great depth of it. But uh, clearly, the Terminator is requires very little introduction. It is one of the classics of modern cinema. Um, anyone got anything they want to add about James Cameron's output? I think
1: this just this is the start of a trend. Obviously, it was his sort of. Um... Well, I know everybody talks about what a big box office smash Conan and the Barbarian was, but I certainly, growing up, had never heard of that until well after I'd heard of the Terminator, and maybe that's just a maybe that's just a regional thing. Uh, maybe in the states that was very very different. But this this marks the start of a trend whereby um, Schwarzenegger um, is married to some of the pivotal sci-fi movies of our, of, <laughs> of our time, quite inescapably. He was very much at the forefront of pushing sci-fi into... Um, I know we'd had Star Wars and whatnot before, but keeping in mind, following Star Trek, the, you know, the motion picture and and Star Wars, we weren't... there There was a gold rush towards sort of sci-fi in cinema, but there weren't that many sort of iconic titles between... And I mean, you, we can argue the merits of um, the quality of Star Trek the Motion Picture. So let, let's say—well, actually, I was going to say let's say Star Wars—but we can argue the merits of that as well. And I think <laughs> I think we have previously. Um, there aren't that many iconic titles. If you think about Alien, Star Wars, two
3: thousand and one.
1: Yeah, that wasn't the start of a big thrust, though, really, was it? I don't think. If you think about when you talk about Star Wars popularising this thing as a cultural phenomenon, you go Star Wars, Alien. And then probably Terminator. When was Aliens? Blade 86? Runner.
3: You're forgetting Blade Runner.
1: I am forgetting Blade Runner. How could I have done that? But it, it's it's one of the pivotal things. And it marks the start of the thing where this, this guy has been married to that genre. And was quite possibly the face of of sci-fi action cinema for a, for a long, long time. And it's also still, having watched it, when was the most recently I watched it? Over a year ago, certainly now. But still... An amazing, amazingly efficient, amazingly entertainment, uh, entertaining movie that has mm-hmm. stood the test of time a great deal more than some of the other sci-fi titles I can think of from the era.
3: Yeah, uh, I really think it stands up. I think that James Cameron really does action very well, particularly live action, because when he starts just playing about with the giant smurfs, you know, it's not a great deal of fun. But yeah, it really does stand up well. It's almost not a sci-fi film in the way that Alien almost isn't a sci-fi film too. Mm-hmm. It has sci-fi trappings, but it's very much more like a horror film mm-hmm. uh, with the, the unstoppable monster coming after you without much dialogue. I mean, obviously, in the case of Alien, no dialogue, but in mm-hmm. the case of The Terminator, a very little dialogue with just an imposing figure. And I watched it again last week in preparation for this because of the films we're going to cover. It's the one that's, apart from True Lies, the one I'd seen uh, most long ago, longest ago, most long ago? I'm failing with English, sorry. Uh, longest ago, and I needed to be reminded of it. And, and it's still such a thoroughly entertaining film. It's so efficiently made, it's so effective. James Cameron really knows how to put a good action sequence together. And it's, the concept of it is quite simple. It's basically, there's a big monster who wants to kill this woman. <laughs> Everything around it is more or less incidental. It gives it an interesting setting that a soldier has come back from the, the future to the past to protect her. But beyond that, it's just yeah, monster trying to chase women, but with really great performances from everybody. And yeah, you can see why this is a film that made Arnie a star. I mean, he'd obviously first come to people's attention in the documentary Pumping Iron, when people look hmm, that guy's got awfully big muscles then. I'm quite impressed by that. I, I guess that was the idea behind Pumping Iron. As I still know in the mid-70s it was rather popular. And then, as you mentioned, Scotty went on to Hercules in New York, that sort of thing. And I think, like you, Craig, I didn't know about Conan until a little after I was aware of things like the Terminator anyway. And maybe it's a, a regional thing too, because Conan the Barbarian Conan the Destroyer are apparently based on comic books, something I wasn't aware of until about... Last year, I think. It escaped me so much. Uh, but the, yeah, there's a reason why The Terminator really put Arnold Schwarzenegger front and centre in people's minds. It's just because he was just this incredibly imposing physical presence, but didn't... I know he's not the best actor, but he just he seemed to work really well in that role and he was unforgettable. He was just an iconic movie monster, basically.
0: Very, very menacing. Yeah. Um, which is something he doesn't really go back to. After this, mm.
3: which is, not really. No. It
0: interesting. Well, even in the
1: sequel, yeah, he's oh, he's a friendly yeah. one now. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> observation you make, Drew, when you're saying about it's actually less of a sci-fi than a horror. Because I'm sitting here thinking it's probably, uh, it's probably, it's probably closer thematically to something like It Follows than it is to a, a to a typical <laughs> sci-fi movie.
0: Yeah, the, the sci-fi trappings are there, and a lot of this film does work because of the performances, like uh, Michael Bain and uh, uh, Linda Hamilton, but the iconic thing coming from it was Ar- Arnie's performance but unlike most of its sequels it doesn't get so tied up in the whole time travel thing to the point where it just becomes a distraction from actually being an entertaining film which is perhaps yeah. it's genius
3: I think the the time travel backstory really, you're right Scott it isn't a large part of it and it's more it's motivation to distrust thrust Michael B and Linda Hamilton together that yeah. he's traumatised and he's now in this world where there, there there's some hope and there's light and it's really there as his backstory rather than being in any way integral to the plot. So it's quite interesting for like a science fiction film to not really be about bit of science fiction at all. Not really.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we- For all that, and for all we're saying, it's the the iconic Arnie Arnie performance that brought him to everyone's attention. He actually doesn't have all that much to do with it, apart from just walk around in a leather jacket and grunt at people and shoot them. So it's strange that he would come to his attention that way. Uh, At least in the following films he'll get a bit more... uh, Screen time to give out some one-liners and such like. Whereas in this one, he's uh, very much just a very scary monster. Which
3: yeah. it, I think the fact that he's not, for instance, like uh, like a Jason Voorhees or a Michael Myers, and he's not hidden behind a mask or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's this iconic movie monster, but who happens to look exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that helped him a great deal. So it, it was such an iconic role, but it was his face that you saw all of the time. This, uh, yeah, this largely implacable face attached to this massive body.
1: And before we get to the sequel as well, can I say, I know a lot of people cite Terminator 2 as their favourite movie of all time, uh, or certainly their favourite action movie of all time. I still prefer this. I still prefer Terminator over Terminator 2. And pound for pound, for pound from a budget point of view, <laughs> I don't think there's any <laughs> argument to be had. Um, and I don't, I don't say it to be contrary. I genuinely, pre- I genuinely prefer the tone of Menace and the low-key sort of aesthetic and the inventiveness of this yeah, is infinitely more interesting to me than any of the... Um, advances in effects um, That T2 Which was obviously very fundamental In driving um, effects forward In that era mm-hmm. But as as a film, as a piece of entertainment I still prefer the original Terminator I think it's more efficient I think there's hardly an ounce of fat anywhere on it Which is not something you can say about the second It It makes Probably the best use Of Arnold In any of his films
3: I don't know. There's one we're going to come to that I actually think he he does a particularly good job in um, and it's not the one you'd expect. Um, You might expect, I mean just in general you wouldn't have expected it from Arnie. But yeah I mean because he doesn't, It's really is focusing much more on his physicality than anything else Uh, and I actually do think he does have a a good bit of comic timing at times not in something like Junior obviously or Jingle all the way but uh, in other films.
1: Yeah, when he's not overtly trying to do comedy. He's actually quite effective
3: at times. Uh, I I think I do prefer Terminator 2 and always did. But, I mean, because the the tone of them is a little different, they're not...
0: I would say they're very different. Yeah, not
3: entirely comparable. In the same way that like Alien and Aliens um, have similar... Like structures are in similar DNA but they're quite different. I feel like Terminator and Terminator 2 are different in a similar sort of way. Mm. Yeah,
0: I I very much like them both, but the first Terminator is the film I would go back to and watch and still feel like I could maybe get something more out of it. Whereas Terminator 2, I like a lot but Mm. I I feel after two views of that I've kind of got got my fill of that. (laughs) It's
1: like a a really good theme park ride.
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: Whereas the first film is like a really good movie. Can I take this opportunity to uh, to unleash my treasure trove on you boys? I have I've got something in front of me, and listeners, I've got something in front of me that I bought quite a while ago, and I got an absolute bargain on because it's got a ripped cover. I got it for two quid. It's Total Recall, my unbelievably true life story by Arnold Schwarzenegger in hardback, and I have yet to get round to reading this. But what (laughs) I thought I would do earlier, while I was in the toilet, I had a look at the pictures.
0: What were you doing in the toilet again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Set that one up, didn't I? And, I? and I thought to myself, do you know what I'm going to do? I think for each of the movies we talk about tonight, I'm going to give you a little insight into Arnold's thoughts on that. And how about for The Terminator, we talk about how Arnold felt at the time about his iconic line, which has stayed with him ever since, I'll be back.
0: Oh, no. Does this sound I've, all right? I've, well, I've, I've heard Arnold's commentaries on DVDs.
3: And- the Total Recall commentaries are particular, um, <laughs> This is a particularly bad is, one.
0: I knew, I knew we would
1: mention that, and this is particularly why I want to read this, right? For the longest time, I thought this man was an absolute dolt, because, <laughs> pr- primarily because every time I read something vaguely interesting about him, it was countered by my experience of listening to his commentary on Total Recall <laughs> with Verhoeven, where Verhoeven was trying to offer insight and was couching things nicely and responding so graciously to Arnold's input, while Arnold basically said things like, this is where I come round the corner and shoot him in the face.
3: He he took the idea (laughs) of commentary very literally, didn't he?
1: Yeah, and now I look back and I think maybe he just came off a really long flight and he was super tired. Because in this book, there are actually some really interesting insights, right? And he's got a lot to say about stuff that I wish he was this verbose in in that commentary. And actually, I haven't read anything that he said about Total Recall, but if you'll bear with me, Scott, feel free to cut this out. So talking to James Cameron about ideas and about speech. It's a machine, Arnold. He said it's not a human being. It's not E.T. It can't get drunk, right? So he was establishing there for Arnold what a robot is. Now, (laughs) our biggest... (laughs) Now I get it. <laughs> now I understand my motivation. <laughs> Our biggest disagreement was about, I'll be back. <laughs> Which, <laughs> as an opening sentence on this topic startles me, that there was a disagreement. That, of course, is the line you hear the Terminator say before it destroys the police station. The scene took a long time to shoot because I was arguing for, I will be back. I felt that <laughs> the line would sound more machine-like and menacing without the contraction. It's feminine when I say the aisle, I complained, repeating it for Jim so he could hear the problem. Aisle, 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 it doesn't feel rugged to me. <sighs> he, looked at, he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. Let's, <sighs> let's stick with aisle, he said. But I wasn't ready to let it go, and we went back and forth. Finally Jim, <laughs> finally, Jim yelled, Look, just trust me, okay? I don't tell you how to act, and you don't tell me how to write. And the very... <laughs> Very thought of someone speaking to Arnold Schwarzenegger like that. And we shot it as written with the script. The truth was that, even after all these years of speaking English, I still didn't understand contractions. But the lesson I took away was that writers never change anything. This was not someone else's script that Jim was shooting. It was his own. He was even worse than Melius. He was unwilling to change a single apostrophe. Where, Where, where is that level of insight <laughs> over something... As simple as a line of dialogue in the Total Recall commentary album. (laughs) Were you holding this back for the book, which only cost me two quid? I'll drop other little fact bombs like that on you throughout.
3: Look forward to it.
0: We we do need to make up a jingle now.
3: Just to go back to what you were saying, Craig, about effects and things too. In Terminator 2, the effects were... Groundbreaking at the time, mm. it was where ILM really first made their name, I think. Mm. And then you go back and look at Terminator Two now, and some of it looks so pony, mm. particularly the bits where Robert Patrick looks like he's wearing um, foil pie dishes on his shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas, although some of the stop motion work in the Terminator looks a little ropey, um, the other with like the puppetry and the um, mechanical. Um, Stuff, the animatronic stuff that Stan Winston created, it still looks really good.
1: It's always gonna, isn't it? Yeah, it's
3: it's held up so well, and again, with such a little budget.
1: It's probably unfair to say, because I've no doubt that guys working behind Silicon Graphic, guys and girls working behind Silicon Graphics workstations back in the early 90s and whatnot were putting in a lot of effort to it But when okay. you when you see proto CGI happening on the screen um, And when you see it aged like it is now, it's difficult It feels difficult to appreciate the craftsmanship involved in it Because it looks so sanitized and clinical and unreal Whereas I think I want to say that when you look at something which is obviously Like you say Drew, a piece of puppetry or is obviously a latex mask, or it's easier to appreciate a physical a physical object on screen and the craftsmanship and the effort yeah. that has gone into producing it, even if you understand that it's not real.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, and I there is like
1: some that's a barrier for that stuff that you'll you'll just never be able to get over with movies from the 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 mid to late nineties with the CG. Yeah, it's
3: not just that too. I mean, you look at, I also look at George Lucas, who in in many respects pioneered a lot of use of special effects and things mm. and. When you see him talking round about the time of. It wasn't the Phantom Menace so much because that had mostly a puppet Yoda, but by the time he was making Attack of the Clowns, and he's talking about, oh, why do people prefer the puppet? Like, it's not a real thing, doesn't matter a bit. And partly it's the quality of the CGI too, but still, there is something very different. You look at The Empire Strikes Back, and you look at Yoda, and you know it's a puppet, and it's you real, but at the same time, um, apart from the fact that you can buy the character because Mark Hamill be- clearly believed in that character, so the audience buys it. But you look at that, it's like it's clearly a thing that exists. That is clearly a real thing that is there in real life. You could touch it. Mm. And I think that's the difference. If you look at like. Less than stellar CGI, CGI it's not aged pretty well. You look at it like it's clearly not a real thing, and it, mm. it you have such a disconnect with it. Whereas even yet, it may just look like a a maquette or something, or this machine that's um crawling through the factory at the end of the Terminator. Mm. Sometimes it looks a bit ropey, at the, but at the same time, you're looking and go, Yeah, that is a physical thing. I am aware that that exists, and you feel so differently about it. Yeah,
1: because mm. the other actors are acting against a performance of something, even if it's a piece of metal on a string. As you know, or an assembly of pieces of metal on a string that has yeah. a has a form, as opposed to a, you know a tennis ball being hovered yeah. in front of them. This is <laughs> I, the island. Just react to the tennis yeah. ball.
3: I don't even think it's just that. Certainly, that's a part of it. Because certainly uh, performances can be different when the actors are you know physically in the room with a thing, as you say. But I think even just it's just it's kind of innate knowledge. I think it's probably at a fairly subconscious level. But just that here is a thing that exists that, that's yeah. in the world that it makes it... I don't accept it more easily, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. What have we got next on the agenda?
0: His next outing was Commando, which is in many ways the quintessential action film of the era. You're down between this and Die Hard, um, but for me I've always had a a, a massive fond spot for Commando to the point where when we were doing our first episodes talking about our favourite films, I had a very real temptation to stick Commando on there because (laughs) there's really none more action film than this. The most absolute basic stripped down tale of John Matrix trying to get his girl back from a from a Freddie Mercury impersonator. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, yeah, just an absolute all-out action fest. Lots of guns, lots of explosions, lots of very, very cheesy one-liners. Uh, not a film that is in any way <laughs> intelligent. A lot of people would perhaps have to describe this as a guilty pleasure, but... I don't believe in guilty pleasures, I just like films that I like and I think mm. there's not been a sort of high-octane action film uh, th- is as prototypical as this one. Uh, there's more interesting films more character driven films there's many other uh, different films even inside the action genre that, that puts spins on things but in terms of just being a really enjoyable slab of one man shooting up lots of men there's not much better than Commando in yeah, my I'd, humble opinion
3: I'd call it less prototypical more archetypal Scott it's just it's yeah. it's the ur action film in some yes. in so many ways <laughs> yeah now when I proposed doing this Arnold Schwarzenegger episode uh it was in part because, well, this would be tremendously easy for us um, <laughs> because, basically, these are the films in which we grew up. Um, also, it would be enjoyable for us because these are the films in which we grew up. <laughs> and uh, really, so, so, yeah, from mid-80s to mid-90s with Arnie, the the main person, these are the films of our childhood. There's a wee bit of people like JCVD in there, that sort of thing. But Arnie, we grew up in Arnie. Yes, we've got lots of other films to watched too. But you know, these were, were were prime years. You know, starting high school by the time, the True Lies etc. comes out, and chief amongst these for so long was Commando, with the wonderful non logic of Sully <laughs> and the ridiculous amount of weaponry that Arnie carries at the end, and all the explosions and the the so very eighties camp villain with his chainmail vest because. Yeah, I've never been able to explain that one.
0: It's Armour joe. He needs Armour.
3: <laughs> yes, because he's from the f- 1300s or... <laughs> I am very sad to find, though. I last watched Commando perhaps a couple of years ago, sometime after we began and Film, and I don't enjoy it anymore. And I'm frankly devastated by that.
2: Boo. As... Well, I watched
0: it half an hour ago and I love it, so... <laughs>
3: Uh, I I loved this film so much. For I watched it so many times. With every film that we're covering tonight, I've seen possibly a dozen times minimum uh, over the years. And and yeah, this was like the archetypal Arnie film. It was. It's just so cheesy and corny, and it's so very much of its era in every way possible. And I just don't enjoy it anymore. And I'm I don't know why. <laughs> I know certainly when a couple of years ago now, Scott, when we discussed the Bond films. I mentioned it, like when they, they end the Bond films it turns into things with just people running around with guns. My attention completely wanes. Yeah. And it's maybe that because half of the film is people just running around with guns and I think it probably bores me a little now. So maybe it's... But I'm, mm. I'm always grieving the loss of Commando as this film that I love for my youth. <laughs> it's very, very disappointing and surprising to find out that it no longer does it for me. But, I mean, if you're going to point to, like... What's an Arnie film? You still you still have to say, yeah, well, Commando.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> interesting comment. Arnold agrees with you, Drew. When you talk about <laughs> when you talk about archetypal, I was riding the great wave of action movies, a whole new genre that was exploding during this time. Stallone started it with the Rocky movies, and the. Oh, don't know sure agree with it, Arnold. In the <laughs> original Rocky in 76 he looked like just a regular fighter but in Rocky 2 he had a much better body. His Rambo movies, the first two especially also. So First had,
3: Blood maybe not Rocky. <laughs>
1: yeah. Also had a giant impact. My 1985 movie Commando continued that trend coming out the same year as the second Rambo and Rocky 4. Then the Terminator and Predator expanded the genre by adding sci-fi dimensions. Some of these movies were critically acclaimed. All of them made so much money that the studios could no longer write them off as just B-movies. They became as important to the 1980s as westerns were in the 1950s. I don't think you can actually argue with that. No, I, I can't
3: argue give that apart from the fact that he, for some reason, invoked Rocky IV, yes. the ultra cheesy one with <laughs> Dolph Lundgren as Ivan Drago.
1: I don't, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think he was necessarily invoking it in terms of uh, quality and whatnot so much as to uh, to root it in uh, in a period in time. But perhaps, perhaps, uh, no. Yes, but uh, the
3: rest of it, yeah, I think I couldn't argue with that at all. No.
1: I see... I, I look back and Commando, Commando has... Commando has come full circle for me, and I wanted to talk about this a bit later on as well, when we get to Last Action Hero. Commando's such an interesting movie for me. I've never grown tired of it. I don't think I've ever been tired of it when I watch it, and even that end, even that last, like, half-hour, Drew, which, as you say, is just... I mean, in incessant gunfire
0: (laughs) Um, it is very much "Eh, eh, eh," for half an hour the
1: extravagance of it never ceases to amaze me i still don't think is i still don't know that it's ever been matched to be honest i don't think private ryan matches it um there's a real feeling i had for that initially where i found it comical and it was just a bad movie that was really really enjoyable and it became a go-to beer movie for me back in the day you guys remember uh our, our friend from school Drummond mhm who I used to spend a lot of time knocking around with and myself and Drummond and his brother Cameron uh used to go to this uh, cinema and stuff and and watch all sorts of uh, nonsense and we would uh we would just, we, we would like about once a week we would suggest a movie to sit um and on watch on what was probably the biggest TV any of us owned which at the time was about 21 inches or something <laughs> like that um, which Cameron had and we would get a couple of beers in and this time we watched Commando and I've never laughed so hard and so long in my life as I had the th- night the three of us sat at about midnight started watching Commando and drinking beer. It is a quintessential moment from my childhood and it framed it as a sort of almost a comedy because it's so patently absurd <laughs> yeah. and bad in every respect and quite clearly took itself so seriously. And then this weird thing happens with action movies. Where around the time of Last Action Hero, Arnie himself, probably ahead of its time, uh, begins the sort of the, the the postmodern movement of cinema reflecting on itself, and Last Action Hero absolutely bombed because of that. And to look at it now, I think that was probably incredibly brave for him to do, to to sort of poke that level of fun and demonstrate that level of self awareness about it. And now, when I go back and watch Commando. It's hard not to see it as a film that actually does understand how silly it is, and it almost feels like a film from now poking fun at films from then. <laughs> it exists in this like weird quantum state for me, and I've never, it never, it never fully decoheres into into one or the, one or the other. Definitely, it's it's. I've been really disappointed recently. Over the course of the last couple of years, I think we've probably mentioned it a couple of times in the podcast or something, and a couple of times like in in the Twitter feed, and when people chip in, I've always been surprised and disappointed how there's a group, uh, "Mm, bloody millennials, because I don't think we quite qualify as millennials, do we? given her birth year. I can't remember what the criteria for that is. We're either
0: a year in or a year out, I forget which. But I think we might world
1: actually world. be a year in. Uh, I
3: believe it's such a rigid criteria as well. For some yes. people, millennials is basically anybody younger than them. Yeah. Anyone so.
0: who do, anyone who you disagree with is a millennial.
1: De- depending how you vote. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the guys, the guys, some of the guys that we talk to regularly on Twitter who are in a slightly younger age bracket than ourselves, and I'm kidding myself when I say slightly, um, <laughs> a lot of them, and their feedback has been they don't they don't view it as having any sort of redeeming quality whatsoever and a little part of me dies inside every time that somebody (laughs) says they don't get it because for me it's almost a perfect piece of cinema it's it's bizarre and that's that's just how i feel about it and it's it's crazy that it's almost this sort of this it's in this weird feedback loop of action cinema um I've had so many different feelings about it and I've viewed it so many different ways over the year over the years I've never grown tired of it. And I think did we have a comment on Twitter earlier from uh one of our um one of our regular sort of um followers, Lewis? Uh at Sonic Yoda. Uh Lewis uh, mentioned uh Commando is one of the stupidest and most quotable films ever. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was good, but my god is it enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first bit of positive feedback I think I've seen in it from anyone who's uh, who's responded to us on the topic at any point. And he's right. When people talk about quotable films, oh my goodness!
3: Yeah, I, mean, I remember um how often, I mean, apart from you know, it's full of the really cheesy quotable lines too, like the let off some steam Bennett thing. Mm-hmm. I remember just spending hours and hours playing Soldier of Fortune Two with Hugh Craig, mm-hmm. death matches and then. You couldn't go more than five minutes without one of us saying, "Go on, John, stick your head out, John. You
1: know? <laughs> stick your head out, John."
3: Yeah, and I, I see what you mean about it. Almost like it was postmodern before that was really a thing. Um, do. I don't think it is. No, I don't think but so. But it
1: almost, it almost convinces <laughs> you, as being that now.
3: You can see that too because it, it's there are so many ridiculous things like. And he's got the two assault rifles, one in each arm, and then like the ridiculous missile launch in the middle of a Los Angeles street and things. <laughs> and But the film starts with him carrying a tree. yes, An entire tree, basically, on his shoulder.
1: Beauty. Right, it's the sheer extremity of everything. Yeah. It's so over the top. Before action movies had actually gotten to a point where they built up a head of steam and got to that, that place, like with some of the Hong Kong stuff coming through from John Woo, like three, four, five years later... This was a thing which just came right off the starting block as the most insane uber, uber <laughs> violence ever. Before, before it was even a thing to begin with, it's crazy.
0: I think That's some crazy. of the discord might come from the way action films are these days, which almost by default means a comic book film. Yeah. But even the the more action heavy stuff, with very few exceptions, all comes into PG-13. Yeah. You don't see any blood. You don't barely no. see anyone getting shot. It's all right. It's all very sanitised. And this goes entirely the other direction. Yeah. Um. Without being the sort of slasher film aesthetic, but um, you do have people's with their arms getting lopped off, and there's an awful lot of claret being splashed around. <laughs> and it feels like a very different film from a very different time. And yeah. yeah it's just such a change from what you see today that I think it, it kind of feels like it's it's either a parody or it's, or it's just from another
1: world, almost. I think it's from another world. I'm just interested in the timing of it, where it comes in the chronology of other action movies. It's like a tachyon. It's like a message that's received before it's ever been sent. It's, in, it's insane. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I don't know if I'll ever get tired of it. I hope I don't. You know people bandy about little factors well it's not really a factoid, is it? A simple math. Oh, you spend a third of your life asleep. I've spent probably conservatively a twelfth of my life quoting commando. (laughs) (coughs) So you know your performance (laughs) reviews are nightmare. It does. It really does. And I've got one tomorrow, by the way. (laughs) And reinvigorated. I know exactly how I'm opening it. (laughs) Boss, stick your head (laughs) out, boss. So it's,
3: it's nice to think back to when you mentioned the Claret, Craig, too and that action films used to be 18s. Mm. Yeah. And Scott, you're saying about the combo films too and they're all just you know, family friendly PG-13 maximums. Yeah, Yeah, they used to be gory. Mm. And that was kind of the point and why they were fun. Um, yeah. It's even when they, when Sly Stolen started up The Expendables and the first film was, I don't know if it was an 18 but maybe it was at least a 15 because it had at some point uh, Dolph Lundgren basically exploding the top half of a person away with a grenade launcher, you know? And, yes. and then the second one came along, and I think it was a 12, and that apparently was because Chuck Norris was in it, and um, I don't know mm. what happened with Chuck Norris, but he doesn't like violence anymore. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> But then it just got so sanitised, and it's all just so <laughs> <meh>. Chuck Nambler Norris. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear! That, but that's is something that I wanted to talk about as well. That you've you've touched on, Drew, and Scott you picked up earlier the the PG thirteen thing uh, or mm. the the twelve certificate where we are now. Um, that's a, a very definite cut off point in the era that we're talking about is the shift to sanitised violence and almost actually more irresponsible violence. Yeah, is in many ways just as, or more violent, but it just does, doesn't necessarily demonstrate realistic um, uh, realistic outcomes of violence uh, yeah. so much. It's as, as the most bizarre thing. It will, bizarre thing.
3: We will actually come back around to this, but I'll mention it now because we'll all be covering Total Recall, of course. Um, again, was an 18 on release, uh, very violent in many parts, but the remake of that was a 12, I believe, and Scott and I were, were tore into this when we covered it back in the one-liner days. mm mm-hmm. And the fact that the violence as it's shown in the 12 rated PG, 13 rated remake, um, quite apart from all the things, other things that are wrong with the remake, you know, the, well, that it exists for one thing, but uh, it's completely irresponsible violence because it doesn't show any consequences. Um, yeah,
0: apparently guns just make people fall over. Yeah. That, yes. That's all that happens. Yeah. Uh, and and you wonder why two-year-olds run around shooting their parents when mm. they get hold of a gun. It's because there's, there's no consequence shown. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's maybe a stretch but that's what I'm going to come <laughs> with
1: Daddy will throw his head back, stagger around and fall over Yes, <laughs> yes I've, I've seen him do that when he's had a drink Can't be any worse than that Oh dear um, But yes, I wish there were more love out there for this because I do think it's just an insanely beautiful little gem
3: I don't know, I just um, I've, after my poor experience the last time I have wanted to go back to Commando but I, I'm rather afraid as part of my hopes that I'll The next time I watch Commando, I'll, I'll rediscover my love for it. Oh, yeah, maybe I was just in a bad mood the last time or something. But part of me is afraid that it, it's gone. And I don't want it to be gone. <laughs> well, I still... Sad.
0: Hey, what's next? Next up in our little jaunt through memory lane is one of the arguably minor Arnie's, but Raw Deal uh, is certainly one of the more interesting ones. Yeah. Where Arnold... Uh, Basically, it turns. It's a strange film on a number of levels. It, it's in many ways written as though it's an undercover cop going into the mob to kind of avenge his uh, friend's son's death. But at certain points, Arnie films just break out in the middle of it, and no reason will <laughs> be a gun in a quarry to drive a lorry through someone's someone's front yeah. window just because. So, yes.
3: yeah, it's um, it's kind of almost a. It's almost a dramatic role for Arnie rather than an action role though, isn't it? Which is quite it, unusual. It feels
0: very much like a script that was retrofitted to be an Arnie film. It I is. meant to mm-hmm. try and look about it, but it, it feels like it's a, a fairly straightforward infiltration story that someone's just slapped our action scenes on almost at random. Mm. Um, for all that, I still think it works pretty well and it's a definitely a very interesting thing for Arnie to be doing because it's very different from any other roles. It's the first one where I've seen where he really has to do any sort of acting in any uh, capacity. Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. an undercover it's an undercover cop thriller that, like you yep. say, has just been retrofitted <laughs> on the basis that, well, wait a minute, people pay to see this guy blow it
2: up.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I had last seen this a long, long time ago and all I really could remember about it was him driving around in a quarry, uh, shooting people. That's yes, the only bit I've, I've ever cared about. Yeah. That's a soft of thing that yeah. sticks in your head. But there was another podcast uh, which started up last year, I think, called Perfect Waste of Time. Uh, and those two gents were kind enough to watch Raw Deal on My Request. I they've in fact now done two films on My Request and one on Craig's, because apparently we own them.
1: Uh, <laughs> and Wasn't My Request Commando?
3: yes right uh, the <laughs> week they, after and
1: they, and they didn't they didn't appreciate it uh,
3: the week after i suggested rod to them, you suggested commando um and then i suggested a jason statham film to them recently did the transporter so I, I apologize for that guys but uh yeah they, i had they'd been doing a lot of sort of early 80s action film and obviously if you listen to this episode you've we're aware by now that we love this and again, it was what we grew up on, and I'd almost suggested raw deal to them as a joke. And I then would like go for the really obvious army stuff like commando, like Craig had suggested just afterwards. Um, but I thought, no, I watched raw deal, and they watched it and they actually quite liked it. In I like. You
1: had thought... a lot to say about the editing in particular. Yeah,
3: I was—is that exactly what I'm coming to, Craig? Um, and I was—I was quite surprised. I was like. I didn't want them to not enjoy it, but I kind of thought, oh, this is just a, a bad Arnie film to have fun taking it apart, and like, and they said, I actually quite enjoyed it. Huh? Eh? Okay, maybe I should watch this again then, so straight on to watch and draw a deal again, and it is, um, yeah, it's not a brilliant film, but it's considerably more interesting than uh, um, I expected, and it is Arnie like, stretching himself a little, acting-wise. I mean, he's no Olivier, never was going to be, but I think he can do a decent job, and he's, it's so... Not an Arnie film. That for this to follow commando so strange. And yes, it's a film that does feel, as you say, it's got retrofitted to be an Arnie vehicle. Mm. Uh but I still find it quite interesting. Um and yes, it is it does show you how important a good editor can be because if you don't know, the editor of for Raw Deal is the wonderful and sadly very recently deceased Anne Coates. Uh, a creator of perhaps the most famous match cut in cinema history. <laughs> and um, that's not meant to be a pun. But it's, um, yeah, just the competency in editing alone can just pull a film together in a way that you wouldn't expect. I don't know what a great deal more to say about Roddy, other than that, it's Arnie you know, stretched himself a little acting wise, trying something a bit more dramatic and not just shooting people. Mm. Um, and if you're interested in Arnie, I thought it's an interesting. Side road, I guess. The wee wee detour takes before he goes back full on into action with Predator.
1: What surprises me about this is he himself has got very little to say about it. (laughs) I'm searching the page references for the deal, and it's literally just mentioned in passing. And the only point at which it's mentioned in any other context, and from this it sounds like it was grudging, he's talking about Total Recall and the Total Recall script having been kicked around Hollywood for ages. (laughs) and Dino uh, De Laurentiis having owned the rights for much of the 80s and having tried to produce it twice already, once in Rome and once again in Australia. Uh I was pissed that Dino didn't offer it to me because I told him that I would like the part, but he had a different vision. He hired Richard Dreyfuss for the Rome attempt and Patrick Swayze from Dirty Dancing for the Australian attempt. I'm glad that he doesn't have to explain who Dreyfuss is, but he does Patrick Swayze. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, he gave me Raw Deal. So it sounds like that might have been a bit of a sore point for him, actually, and he's got very little else other than that to say about that movie in the book. But like you say, it's actually one of the more interesting entries in his canon because it marks—I feel like it marks the start of him trying to do something different.
3: Yeah, exactly. And,
1: and never really being given the chance.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you look at this, he has come back to—I want to say a sh- like a straight role, which is not quite accurate, but rather than just a straight out action style action hero role, and he's since he's returned to acting after being um, in politics for a while, he's tried a couple of things like that. Um, even ones that are sort of not entirely serious, like that film with Johnny Knoxville, The Last Stand. Mm-hmm. And in that, he's, like, I mean, it's not quite to the degree it's in Raw Deal, but um, it is a slightly straighter role. And is it Maggie, though, which I've not actually seen, but I've heard actually quite good things about them. Mm-hmm. He has every now and then veered into kind of more at least slightly more dramatic roles and he can do a decent job he kind he, of he's never been the best actor never was going to but he does have a little range at least and he's coupled with his innate charisma which is why he was um such a star in the 80s he's, he's just i like arnie always have like that and he just found him very very charismatic and so he, he can actually stretch himself a bit whereas for instance like sliced loan who was his his real big not competitor but uh his peer I guess at the time um, and again Stallone can have charisma but Stallone basically had one good role in him which he then tried to repeat six times um, <laughs> and only really managed it particularly well when he came to it as a smaller part in Creed but um, Arnie actually had a wee bit of breadth to his ability um, and the, the audio was probably where he's really starting to explore that.
0: Yes um, by no means the best received Arnie film I think it's the oh for what it's worth, the, the lowest tomato of the films that we'll talk about today, and a, a lot of people don't seem to give it much time of day. Ah, Some well, what it's worth is nothing, though, Scott. So. Yeah. Some people were just grateful it was slightly better than Cobra, but uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 I would probably recommend it to most people, I think, if you've got any interest in Arnie's career, or is yeah who uh, yeah, exactly. at this point. It's a very interesting little point I'm, to look at.
1: I'm due a revisit, because for <laughs> 20 years I've just really thought about flipping a tape in the um, cassette deck in the car and spraying an F5. <laughs> Over the yeah. over the windshield, at a guy like three hundred feet away, on top of a <laughs> yes. on top of a slag heap. Um, that's been the only part that's been of any interest to me. And I think I've always thought, well, there's where half the budget went. They licensed the Stone Satisfaction.
3: Yeah, I, um, I I wouldn't recommend it as a film just in general, but I would recommend it within the context of if you're interested in Schwarzenegger, then very much it's it's something that merits a watch.
0: So I guess we'll move on there to another film that we've, well, we've actually spoken about quite a bit in various forms in this <laughs> podcast, The pred- uh, Predator, which, well, I guess by this point we don't really give a lot of time to either in terms of introduction or in terms of our opinions. But uh, yes, Arnie and his team of special operatives head on a jungle mission, probably in Val Verde, they tended to be at this era, only to find himself hunted down by the Predator, who is an alien tracking them for sport. And uh, it's a slim setup, to say the least, but it's nice to create a, a really taut, effective mm. action film slash horror in many places. Um, yeah, a, r- a really effective uh, film and e- easily the best Predator film. And, uh, yeah, a great outing for Arnie as well.
3: Yeah, well that is a low bar, Scott, to call that the best Predator <laughs> film. But, um, yeah. Fortunately, it is considerably better than that low bar might suggest. But, yeah. um, and also, it's a film, another, you know, the film where he starred with a former sports star, but as opposed to Will Chamberlain and Conan the Destroyer which fortunately we're not talking about tonight mm. uh, at least Carl Weathers is actually a bit more engaging
0: So I thought you meant Jesse Ventura there mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about a real sport <laughs> well, yeah. Pro-wrestling,
3: yes um, yeah. you know, I, when you, For a moment there, when you said when you were talking about Jesse Ventura my brain just completely seized up for a second I'm like, what? Oh, he's making a joke because I was just—I did governor. not associate with, with, with Jesse Ventura with a sport at all, unless it's as um, Captain Fantastic or whatever he's called. In, how uh, often do you see?
1: Now. How often do you see two governors firing machine guns in a movie? That's, <laughs>
0: that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: That's another particularly quotable RNA film, actually. And if Lewis feels the same way about that as he does about Commando, because there's so many lines from Predator that are just stuck in people's heads and have been for the last twenty-five years.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, probably the second greatest all time, right? And probably the one I hear more often than uh, I'll be back anyway. I don't ever really hear anyone quoting I'll be back, but certainly you'll get to the chopper enough times.
3: Yeah. I think perhaps because I'll be back, even if you do it with like an irony accent, is mm-hmm. it's just such an everyday part of speech mm-hmm. that it doesn't actually have any particular meaning because I'll be back, people say that every day. So whereas get to the chopper, not so common. <laughs>
1: The only feedback we had, actually, in relation to Predator um, was from At Chopper Fireball, the exploding helicopter podcast. Uh, what's most interesting is the rise in critical reputation of Predator and Commando. For years afterwards, those films would receive poor reviews in TV guides, but around the late 90s, they started to get better reviews and now get described as classics. Um, yeah. I'm not sure it was that steep a slope because I always think Predator had some sort of um, kudos around it to begin with, at least a certain level. It's a very definite point in the graph of John McTiernan's progression just before Die Hard. Yeah, just a couple of years before Die Hard, yeah. exactly. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there is definitely an element of that there, that over time they have actually... I think I think it was very easy to dismiss stuff like this at the time as absolute trash, but probably now, um, you know, 10, 20 years later, yeah. it's, it's easier to look back at it now and actually sift out what was valuable about it as a document from its time, and it is just a good movie.
0: Yeah, Well, actually, that's what Arnie was saying earlier about this, is that they action genre moved from firm B-movie staples direct yeah. to video to uh, actually being the tentpole releases mm-hmm. and yeah, that's that's an element of it. I've always thought inter- it's probably more applicable to something like uh, La- Last Action Hero but sometimes the, the rise in reputation of things over time really comes from, if it comes out and everyone hates it, there's not really much point doing a think piece about I went back and watched an old film and it mm. still sucks whereas if you <laughs> went back and I, w- I went back and watched a- Action Hero and actually it's postmodern blah 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 then you can you're not gonna. You're only going to write one of those kind of articles. You're not going to write one that a film that was thought to suck ages ago still sucks. So I have always thought there's maybe a bit of a availability bias in that. But yeah, I think the point stands.
1: <laughs> do you want to know? What, do you want to know what Arnie had to say about Predator and the casting of Jesse Ventura?
0: <laughs> Did he still think it was great?
1: <laughs> in all of this, the body was key. The era had arrived where muscular men were viewed as attractive. Looking physically. <laughs> Looking physically heroic became the aesthetic. There's value in this. They looked powerful. It was inspiring. Just looking at them made you feel like they could take care of the job. No matter... Now, interesting that just a couple of years later, actually, Bruce Willis would earn a claim for doing the exact opposite and being the everyman hero. No matter how outlandish the stunt, you would think, yeah, he could do that. Predator was a hit partly because the guys who go into the jungle with me were impressively muscular and big. <laughs> the movie Apart from was... Shane Black. Apart from Shane Black. That's all what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. The movie was Jesse Ventura's acting debut. I was at Fox Studios when he came to interview for the job and after he walked out I said, guys, I don't think there's even a question that we should get this guy. I mean, he's a Navy frogman <laughs> and, and he's never let us forget it. He's a professional wrestler and he's never let us forget it. And he looks the part. He's big and he has a great, deep voice. Very manly. I'd always felt, <laughs> I'd always felt we like we real men in movies. And to me, Jesse was the real deal.
3: Oh, I take issue with the fact that if he was a professional wrestler, that this was his acting debut.
0: <laughs> Don't spoil it for the kiddies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh wow! Sorry, I'm just also looking at how much he was paid for some of these movies, which at the time, my God, my God, I don't think he'd have been earning as much.
3: I know by the time of Terminator 2 and Eraser, it was like 20, 25 million, but that's when he was getting huge budget films and he was the star.
1: My plan was always to double my salary with each new film. Not that it always worked, but most of the time it did. Starting from 250,000 for Conan the Barbarian, by the end of the 1980s, I'd hit the 10 million mark in pay. The progression went like this. Terminator. 750,000 Conan the Destroyer 1 million these are even when you think about it adjusting for these are big figures Yeah. Um, for films that actually at the time I'm thinking the budgets of these the isn't
3: Predator only about 20 million for a budget <laughs> well, I think mean, we talked like, about that on our Predators podcast mm. that... yeah
1: Commando 1.5 million Red Sonja Brac- uh, sorry inverted commas cameo 1 million <laughs> Predator 3 million The Running Man Five million. That stands out. Red heat, five million. Total recall ten million. The man had a plan. Yes. There's Mm T two, there's T two. From there I went on to fourteen million for Terminator two and fifteen million for True Lies. Bang, 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 bang. The rise was very fast. (laughs) Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Good God. That's fascinating to think of what a proportion of the budget for some of those earlier films that represented.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolute is. It's a powerful chunk of it. Um, it
1: is. A powerful chunk of money for a powerful chunk of flesh.
0: <laughs>
3: <sighs> you can't buy seasoned Austrian oak like that cheap, Craig. You have to buy the real deal. Exactly. exactly.
0: Um, I think if you want more uh, details on the Predator podcast, as Drew mentioned there, you can go back and listen to the Predator's uh, podcast, but I, th- I think it's safe to say it's really, really good and you yes. should watch it. It's very um, good.
3: Yes. <laughs> it doesn't have Gary Bussie in a tinfoil suit. <laughs> Can I just mention sure get how terrible Predator to do is and why Scott is wrong?
0: <laughs> My favourite film of the franchise. Uh, <laughs> so we'll crash straight on to another d- 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 debatably science fiction now thing where it's set in the uh, dystopic future of t- next week, uh, <laughs> The Running Man, where a-, a falsely accused Arnie is dumped into a hellish game show where he must fight for his very life and also... Uh, try and take down the tyrannical government forces of television that are controlling it. Uh, It's been a while since I watched it but regardless of that, I I still really like The right Television doesn't
3: influence people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, another film of a surprising number of films that I find I actually like that's based on the Stephen King story uh, although this one written under his pen name Richard Bachman yeah, it is is dystopic but in one of those ways it's like, it doesn't feel that far-fetched in many ways no. While at the same time being based on the kind of idea of like um, Roman gladiators, that sort of thing, blood sports of the the real original type, where the whole audience of the country gets around the TV every week to watch people get brutally murdered um, <laughs> by people wearing covered in LEDs and a big nappy, <laughs> as you do. Run the Running Man is. It's definitely not the best Arnie film. I just, it's one of the more throwaway ones, but I just still find it quite entertaining. Um, yeah, I mean, I d-
0: it's clearly very silly. But yeah, it, it's very. It, it's probably the it, campest of
3: the ones we're going to talk about with a possible section of Commando. Um,
0: yeah, but, but I think with the exception of, well, in difference to Commando, Commando does take itself seriously. I don't think The Running Man ever does. <laughs> Certainly, again, it's hard to say. Maybe I'm just not from modern times, but it always felt silly and everyone was in on the joke this time.
1: You mean, that, you mean that by
3: by casting Mick Fleetwood they weren't taking themselves seriously
1: <laughs> and by hiring Paul Michael Glazer to direct that, that's a that's strange a thing The original director, I always forget that about this movie
3: that is perhaps the strangest fact about The Running Man yes it was directed by Starsky <laughs> it was directed
1: by Starsky exactly um,
3: which is so so <laughs> strange but it is, it's a fun film and you yeah, absolutely throw away but it does have some iconic moments too like the the gladiators are ridiculous Um, in particular dynamo (laughs) who was actually played by a real opera singer i just i just think they should have really gone full-on into the opera thing there's there's (laughs) bits where he's singing and i was like yeah you only kind of you didn't fully commit to that it's so ridiculous you should have just fully committed to him being a full-on opera singer who also happens to murder people for a living um (laughs) like legitimately murder people on television for a living and she just went full on into that and have them singing arias all the time while they did it It's it just been so daft and really really fun but yes the the second film where Jesse Ventura plays an important role and mm. I think even a more important role than in Predator because he's so ridiculous in this and it's fantastic <laughs> Captain Freedom isn't it Captain Fantastic something different Captain Freedom mm. uh, the, the retired gladiator it's I mean, clearly the film has a message about media and television control and people not thinking for themselves and that. But it's written by Stephen King, so he's not really the sort of writer that can do that real justice. Um,
1: And Glazer wasn't a director who could do it justice either. (laughs) No, but
3: it's still fun. It's... um, And just you seeing Jesse Ventura with the most ridiculous, most plastic-looking armour you can imagine... pretending to murder arnold schwarzenegger in uh, a cgi reconstruction it's just so entertaining (laughs) and the most ridiculous clothing it's like there are times too when to have a physique like arnie's really helps because if you did have a physique like arnie's he's going to look really really stupid in that outfit
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes the spandex flatters him
1: I remember greatly enjoying Running Man. I can't think this might actually even have been the first Arnie film that I saw. And I remember greatly enjoying it at the time. Um, but I it's probably one of the ones I feel most ambivalent about now. I'm not really... Um, I'm really neither here nor there on it. Well, I'm trying to think when I most recently watched it and I couldn't tell you. You're probably depressingly enough, you're probably pushing about 20 years you know what, since you I last watched it. You have a point
0: it. in that now, come to think about it, because I always remember it very fondly, but I've not seen it in mm. Lord knows how long, mm-hmm. because I don't feel it's... It, 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 Unlike many of the other ones, I don't think there's even the slightest hint you're going to get anything more from watching this even a second time. Let alone yeah, twenty exactly. Uh, and because so un-
1: undoubtedly I own it somewhere, <laughs> uh, or it's sitting on my network drive or something like that. Undoubtedly, but I, I can't imagine a time when I'll, I'll feel like going back to watch it. I'm kind of almost happy to leave it with sort of half fond uh, <laughs> memories. But I'd, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting point on the arc of his career where actually I think. Um, the bomb could quite easily have dropped out of it after this if he hadn't built up quite um, quite the head of steam that he had at this point in his career because by all accounts I think it wasn't that well received at the time um, and from what I recall of it, it definitely has it definitely has this sort of, it felt like an earlier lower budget movie than it actually was and is um, when you look at it in, uh, in the canon of Arnie films and a lot of that is just down to the studio handling of it and um, I think Glazer as uh, as director, which, which our man Arnie talks about in some detail, but I won't bore you with it, but he's, hiring Glazer was a mistake. He didn't have time to research or think through what the movie had to say about where entertainment and government were heading and what it meant to get to the point where we actually kill people on screen. In TV, they hire you and the next week you shoot, and that's all he was able to do. As a result, The Running Man didn't turn out as well as it should have done. With such a terrific concept... It should have been a $150 million movie. Instead, the film was totally screwed up by hiring a first-time director and not giving him time to prepare. That feels <sighs> legit.
3: Yeah. Um, I actually watched this last year, perhaps? And um, so when I say it, like, it's you know it's all right, it's reasonably entertaining, that's from a fairly recent viewing. Mm. And without Arnie, I mean, the presence of Jesse Ventura absolutely helps, but without, without Arnie... It, you wouldn't it'd be difficult to enjoy it. His charisma, his presence really helps a lot.
1: Without Arnie it'd be almost difficult to imagine us having gotten into cinemas.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um it would be a, a straight to video release without him, I think. And certainly certain elements of it feel straight to video like in terms of the quality of the sets in some places. But there is actually with modern knowledge a nice wee twist to it that makes it a little bit more satisfying. The the guy that plays Killian, is it Richard Dawson? Mm-hmm. Guided um, Family Feud in the United States, um, and if you've seen um, some of the deeply disturbing videos of him being a disgusting, creepy, lecherous old pervert on Family Feud, so when you've seen those clips on YouTube and things, and like sort of wanting like young girls to kiss him and things, when he gets killed by um, or killed in the film, that's deeply satisfying. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I've always thought in many ways the wrong Man is the first film of the hashtag B Two movement <laughs> <laughs> Time's up for yeah. him Scott.
3: Yeah. Of the the films that come tonight, it's probably the one that I would recommend least. Nah. Well I don't know, maybe I'm talking you're thinking Red Heat Scott, perhaps <laughs> yes. Perhaps. Um yeah, I don't know. But
0: it, if this film is as fun as I remember it being, it's certainly much, much better than Red Heat. Um, yeah.
3: Do you know? I would, have, I may have argued that point up until I watched Red Heat again last okay. week. And like, I remember this being much better. Although no, this is the yeah, so it's like, oh good, it's it's Arnie, yay, and it's you're disappointed. It's that Belushi, Belushi. Uh, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, I was going to say to go on to Red Heat, but I mean, really, that's entirely summed up my opinion of it. Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, Red Heat where? We, Arnie comes over as a Russian cop to track down the escaped. Well, he's not exactly a convict, was he? He was. A, he hasn't got uh, as far as being convicted yet. He's, yes. Um, but uh, an escaped criminal, man. Yes, and he's uh, escaped to America where he's teamed up with, unfortunately, James Belushi. And <laughs> they track him down throughout the hot Chicago summer, shooting people and without really doing anything of interest for about 90 minutes. If I remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, uh, I actually watched this last last couple of days ago and um, I didn't like it when I first saw it donkeys ago I didn't want to watch it again (laughs) I shouldn't have watched it again it's just as bad if not worse now (laughs) it's just I mean it's not in many ways a terrible film I don't think it's done anything in particular bad it's just absolutely generic and Mm -hmm. it's got Jim uh, it's got the wrong Belushi in it and yeah it's just eminently missable it's just I don't think there's any reason to go back and watch this at all might have been an acceptable cinema outing at the time, barely, but yeah, it, it warrants no uh, reflection from modern times at all, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I know that I've seen Red Heat,
1: and I have no, <laughs> no recollection of it whatsoever, apart from a scene where they're driving a truck together, um, and that's about all I have to say about that.
3: Well, it doesn't happen, so I think you're thinking of a bus, so your recollection is, is a bus? It's not brilliant either. <laughs> it's a bus. Um,
1: so a truck for people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people trucks, that's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. people trucks. Um,
3: yeah. Yeah, I I've seen this a few times over the years. For some <laughs> reason, at some point, I felt compelled to buy it on Blu-ray because I have on Blu-ray. Um, I assume it was like a five or something I'd fancy it again. But you I, are,
0: I think, the only person that owns Red Heat <laughs> on Blu-ray. <laughs> you, if anyone else pay in the world.
1: five pounds to own a film that you already know you don't like? Just torrent it. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I, I don't imagine I'll own it for much longer. Is anybody, if anybody, would like a copy of Red Heat on Blu-ray, please let me know. Um, like, I mean, to be fair, a thing it's,
0: on Twitter. It's, it. It's, it is very valuable. I mean, it is the only copy Blu-ray copy of Freddy <laughs> that must exist, <laughs> apart from the ones that are stored in a warehouse
3: somewhere. Um, yeah, I'd remembered it being sort of like a you know a passable buddy cop movie thing, and I was like it's not though. And I'd, my recollection of it was that I enjoyed it more. Like, well, having watched it last week, I, yeah, I mean, it's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it's it's played too straight. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and you know from other films, and one we'll come to shortly, that Arnie really can do a good comic turn. Uh, I mentioned it earlier too. Well, the but problem not with in it
0: this. is uh, Schwarzenegger is doing the straight role. Fine. I think that's absolutely the right call. Makes a lot of sense. Unfortunately, the person he's up with can't carry the comedy ender no. because James Blush is just not as good. Um, so it, it falls in that regard. Um, that's where it fails for me. Um, it's a the guy that's supposed to be funny just isn't, and that really drags the whole thing down. Yes, that's
3: a big problem. Yeah, it's just... It's very much a meh film. It's not like bad enough that you could really just tear it to pieces or anything. But it's like, yeah, it's there, I i guess. It's a thing that I've seen.
0: Yeah, but certainly of all the films we're talking about in this podcast, this is easily the one you would skip over. Um, I don't think it's doing anything particularly interesting for Arnie apart from... Uh, apart from maybe giving him a, a, a solid excuse to kind of. <laughs> Arnie's accent has always been a, a problem for some people, and I think this is perhaps one film where you can say it's been leveraged to some effect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the rest right. of the film, there's not really anything interesting there for either Arnie or the film in general to really cover. So well, yeah.
3: Because people think that Austrian and Russian sound similar enough, I yeah, guess. it
0: and... sounds vaguely foreign. <laughs> <is> close enough, <laughs> you know what I mean? East of London. <laughs> yeah. So this takes us to another film that we've discussed uh, a number of times in many podcast iterations. But um, uh, Total Recall, uh-huh. the Paul Verhoeven absolute classic of the genre where <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger must get his ass to Mars to fight uh, a regime that is, an oppressive regime that is holding the Mars captive, uh, Mars population hostage to their cruel regime. Or is it all just an implanted memory? Who can say... Uh, But regardless, it's just an incredibly entertaining, over-the-top action movie that only Verhoeven of this era could do, with an absolutely fantastic uh, premise and just lots of really fantastic action. Arnie's great in it, and he's got a lot of really great support. Um, All the supporting cast are, if anything, more entertaining than Arnie himself. Uh, But yeah, this is uh, perhaps... it's hard to pick any one of these films as being the most enjoyable of them i, th- I think mm. but this is a pretty good shout at it mm-hmm. um it's just really really entertaining and has that, been for this is ages.
1: legitimately the crossroads between ridiculously enjoyable almost morally bankrupt a- action <laughs> movie and legitimate sci-fi uh, concern and introspection yes. like thematically <laughs> um that rarely has there been this perfect of a, a melding of, uh, of genres in cinema <laughs> history and yes probably only Verhoeven at this point could have pulled it off it's just an insane movie yeah,
0: yeah. One of my favourites for many many years and mm. it continues to be this day um, one of the films I've not watched particularly recently because it, it's just so ingrained in my head I've watched this <laughs> film probably more than any of the other ones with maybe the exception of The Terminator uh, but yeah just, just really great film
3: Yeah, it's, um, I have a feeling that on another episode I may have said I preferred Terminator 2 to this in terms of Arnie films but if I did say that I, I'm not quite sure what I was on that night because <laughs> I think this is probably my favorite Arnie film it's my favorite Paul Verhoeven film because I think I prefer this to RoboCop hmm. it's my favorite Philip K Dick film <laughs> Craig shut up <laughs> um, it's um yeah, it's just, it's such a great film. Everybody involved is just doing such a good job. It's so well written, it's so well directed. The action's fantastic, it's gory and violent in the way that it's. So, yeah, Craig's yeah, right, it's pushing uh, moral bankruptcy in terms of action <laughs> films, but it also really fits with the story and the world that's been created. It's just a thoroughly entertaining film, and like you, Scott, I've not seen it in a while because, yeah, I can close my eyes and have the whole thing play back without having to think about <laughs> it at all. Yes. It's just such a good film. I'm not sure it has as much to say as as something like, say, Robocop does, or even Starship Troopers. Um, There are more political Paul Verhoeven films. This um, has less of that, I guess. But
0: yeah, if this is a satire, it's not anything to do with the actual plot. Uh, No, it's not satirizing action movies in and of themselves, which I still think works pretty well. But yeah, Yeah. I can see what you're saying there.
3: And it's got it's one of those films that has some B-movie actors, particularly um, Ronnie Cox, who I like a lot, but he's a B-movie guy, really. Uh, But he's just this great villain in this and just seems to have been elevated by the director and the script, I think, and everything just... Again, this is a film that could easily have been a straight-to-video sort of thing. Oh yeah, a bit, a bit
0: less budget and a bit less talent behind it. Significantly yeah. less budget. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, uh,
3: but at yeah, the it's time just
1: the second most expensive film ever made, if I yes. recall.
3: Really? Oh, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
3: but yeah, they they've made a good film with a lot of money then, which is uh, <laughs> which is nice, uh, as opposed to you know the remake? <laughs>
1: There's, there's an element of Casino, uh, casino to Goodfellas in, in terms of Ronnie Cox's performance here from Robocop, I think. Um, but you can understand why Verhoeven wanted to, to bring Ronnie Cox over, because he did such a bloody good job of a very similar thing in, uh, in Robocop. Yeah. And um, this is the film that most, um, having read pretty much all of Philip K. Dick's stuff from quite a young age, this is, this is the film that I would most like to put in front of him as an adaptation. If I could bring him back just for a day, go, what do you make mean? of this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> because,
1: it is this, again, it's another one of those quantum state movies where at its heart, it actually deals, it, it deals thematically with the source text. Better than a lot of people yes. have done with it. But it's also utterly ridiculous <laughs> and as far removed from it as you can possibly imagine yeah. Um in terms of artistry as well, in terms of just the content is absolutely bizarre and it works so damn well. It must have been a- impossible to imagine. It must have been impossible to imagine just how well this was going to turn out. But I-, I say that, but obviously uh, Karolko threw the money at it and they had faith in Arnold and they had faith in Verhoeven. Um I take exception to one of the comments that our friend Arnie makes about it, though, in terms of Verhoeven leaving his own mark on the script. It's very normal. Every director wants to pee on the script and make his mark. Now, I immediately imagine Verhoeven doing that for real. (laughs) Um, His suggestions were smart and they made the story much better. He immediately dug into the research on Mars. How would you free up the oxygen that's bottled in the rocks there? There had to be a scientific basis for it. Paul added a dimension of realism and scientific fact.
3: With the giant space kettle. No,
1: no, that's how you would do it. That's how you would do it. So no, no, he didn't. The other thing that is super interesting, given what we've spoken about with the Total Recall commentary, is that so far, this is the only movie that he talks about that I've come across that he talks about at any length. And do you know how he talks about it? He literally describes scenes to you (laughs) in the book the way that he does in the commentary, <laughs> he basically he basically reads out what happens in the scene where he goes to see the salesman and explains to you what the character is internalizing. And he goes on like that for a couple of pages. And right? then
0: there was the scene where I blabbed about bars, but I didn't blab about bars. <laughs> but listen, he's
1: actually was some, Harry. <laughs> He's actually got some interesting stuff to say about it in the context of the themes and whatnot, right? But I want to read this bit to you because it melds that bizarre thing that he clearly has for this movie and this movie alone of just being very literal in his commentary (laughs) of it. And he mars it with one. What if I think (laughs) if I had to shortlist some quotes to to have tattooed on my face, this might be up there with it, lads. (laughs) So he's he's talking about the, the climactic scene with Sharon Stone's character, where she kicks him in the nuts, basically. That's for making me come to Mars, she says. By the end of the next scene, she's saying... Doug, you wouldn't hurt me, would you? Honey, sweetheart, be reasonable. We're married he's literally reading out the script at this point. <laughs> be reasonable. We're married while she's pulling out a gun to kill him. He shoots her between the eyes. Consider that a divorce, he says. Where else in movies do you get away with that? A guy shoots his beautiful wife in the head and then makes a wise crack. No such thing. Forget about it. That's what makes science fiction wonderful. And that's and that's what makes acting wonderful. <laughs>
0: I like acting because I can shoot my wife without recourse to the law. <laughs> That's saying a lot about his character there. I feel like you could have chosen a lot of other examples to highlight why play,
1: playing at being someone else is a good thing, man. <laughs> Considering he wrote this book, this book was published a year after his divorce.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's revealing an awful lot about Arnie, I am thinking. <laughs> this is a man who has played um, evil robots he has played special forces operatives, he's played hero cops he's played a spy who flies a Jaharia jump jet but no the great thing about acting is how you can kill someone um, and that's make a, a quip
1: Remember that time I shot a woman in the face I ah, fooled you, it was acting and that's what makes acting wonderful Hot damn that is a hot take <laughs> I can't believe I haven't got round to reading this book yet.
0: Anyways, Total Recall was the first hashtag Me Too film. So.
1: What a beautiful, beautiful quote! <laughs> and then he goes on some more about it for another few pages, which just goes, <laughs> which just goes to tell you this was clearly a film dear to his heart. <laughs> and it, but it is though. All all joking aside, it is a fantastic. Um, it's a fantastic amalgam of, of of sci-fi, of action, of exploitation, almost. Of all, of all sorts of things. It's extreme in almost every sense of the word and somehow it gets away with it and it's just the most entertaining. It should it should feel like a guilty pleasure, but it can't even be a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. Yeah, It's just a really amazing film yeah. and something that could probably only have been made in the 90s.
3: Yeah, I'm very much with Scott here. I don't really believe in guilty pleasures. Yes, I like what I like. I like this film too. Yeah, it's just, I don't know... If this is called by simply how many times I've seen it, but they just feel like there were so many iconic scenes in it as well, as eyes bulging out. When but another oh, like um, scientific sound scientific fact. thing, yes, <laughs> <laughs> another sound scientific basis that if you don't have any oxygen, your head expands. But okay, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, a drop in pressure of about one atmosphere will do that. Absolutely, that's what happens every time someone climbs out of a swimming pool, isn't it? <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> Yeah, the scene with Benny and um, then Michael Ironside's arms being ripped off, the woman's mask at the airport. Two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, it's just full of so many great things. Um, the only thing now that isn't great is that, you know, it saying was, it was such an expensive film at the time, Craig, some of that really doesn't show anymore because it, it does have a very much a a Star Trek TV series set look about some of the bits. It's like, hmm, th- th- that'll be big bits of polystyrene rock then. <laughs> oh, and look, there's a whole set of polystyrene rock. It's not very convincing. I kind
1: of uh, love it for that, though, and I think that aesthetic kind of suits it, because it, like you say, it knows it's trashy in the right places. Yeah, I, don't, I don't
0: mind it at all, really, when I watch it back, but it does look like something. I think I've noticed that more when I went back at some point, when hmm. there was a high-def, uh, ray 1080p kind of uh, remaster of it, knocking mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. rather than the old school stuff. I don't think that bothered me quite so much when it was uh, back in you know popper vision. But n- now we're in this all 4K shiny future-ville, Uh Yeah, some of it does look a bit uh, a bit like it wasn't quite made for that scale. But yeah,
3: yeah. it's strange because there are like there are bits that are like the like Arnie's face underneath the the mask of the woman, which doesn't look quite right. But again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, with like it being a physical effect and it's um, Better than the CGI would have been at the time, and then the there are some bits though. Yet, yeah, so look, they've got like the polystyrene sets that look dodgy. Then at the same time, you have the set of when you see the huge um plate glass window at the side of the hotel, and like that, just looks really good. I mean, I assume they shot that somewhere real, but um rather than build it because it must have cost, it would have cost a fortune to build. But at the same time, it still looks really good, and then. The makeup—it's pretty
1: much all shot on sound stages an, and using actual architecture around about Mexico City, I think.
3: Yeah, I think it would have to be because like you couldn't build windows like that just for a. It's like a, some matte painting behind a hotel a real hotel or something. I would guess, but mm. so but things like that hold up really well. And some of the makeup actually, even in high def, still looks pretty good. Like the mutants—they still look passable. Nothing couldn't mm. um, almost unrecognizable. Dean Norris. Mm. Uh, And then you have, uh, there's other bits too that just do look really good, like the, and excruciatingly painful looking when he's removing the thing from his nose. Yeah. With the the Foley effect too of that crunching noise when the probe finds it, but there's only pulling it out of his nose, like, okay, part of my brain's thinking, yes, that's ridiculous, there isn't space for that, that couldn't happen. The other part is going, oh yeah, oh, that looks painful. (laughs) And then at the same time, they're of all the polystyrene sets and it, It's kind of annoying, I wish there was more consistency there, but uh, it doesn't really matter because the whole film is so entertaining. Um, And yes, I love the scientific uh, veracity veracity of it with the giant space kettle.
0: (laughs) Yes, I too love the scientific veracities of it. (laughs) (laughs) So we move on to perhaps Arnie's biggest film, certainly the time, uh, Terminator 2. I'm assuming I don't need to introduce this to anyone. It's the Terminator, but more of it. um, Evil Terminators, more time travel shenanigans liquid metals uh, advanced for the time cg effects we've already touched on this uh, a little bit when we talked about the first terminator but yeah you know, <laughs> whether you prefer the first or the second one i don't think there's anyone that would outright ever come out and say that terminator 2 was a bad action film um whether it's aged better or worse than other films i'm not quite so sure but at the time it was a phenomenal piece of action and and it's to my mind still is i can still mm-hmm. very much enjoy watching it whether some of the CGs are up there or not or, as I say, it's got a bit of a PlayStation 1 vibe to some of the CG effects uh, when you go back and play those. It's, it was the, the dawn of the CG era that hadn't quite formed uh, the way that it has these days uh, for better or worse. But yeah, I still think Terminator 2 holds up as a really great film and um, certainly the last great Terminator film. And, um, yeah, <laughs> oh you, Scott, you, are
3: you besmirching Terminator I mean, Genesis? How dare you?
0: I mean, I would besmirch it but everyone else has been doing so much smirching to it. It's, <laughs> I think it's all smirched out.
3: <laughs> uh, I just, I love Terminator 2. It's my favourite Terminator film. Uh, <laughs> it's a great action film. The thing is, some of the CGI actually still holds up reasonably well. I mean, yeah. it's not as polished as you'd expect nowadays, but, well, it's from 1991. Of course yeah, it's
0: I, not. It's really just the stuff where they were really cutting, they were really pushing the edges. They were, you know, the whole sort of mothering and all that stuff, that. That hadn't really been done before and certainly on that kind of scale or the liquid metal stuff was all very impressive for the time. It's just yeah. that it's been improved upon since then, but they were inventing the techniques as they were going from what I can understand of it. So
3: Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it still holds on. There's a the bit when basically the Terminators become the floor and morphs up into become the one of those twins that are playing the security guards. Yeah. Um, and it's like yeah, that's that actually that works quite well. You don't need it to be to look any better for that effect to work particularly well and then yeah some of the morphine effects really are rather good um it's just it's some of the it's actually weirdly it's some of the more practical effects that uh, have aged poorly in that film like i mentioned earlier with the pie dishes it's like you just (laughs) attach things to uh robert patrick's shirt and they look terrible Whereas now those would be dumb as CGI, and I guess that was beyond their capability at the time, uh, and so they would have looked they would look better now. But it's just a thoroughly entertaining film. It's James Cameron just shown it. Still, he can do action really well, and yeah, I don't want more to say though. It's it's another Terminator film, and it's much better than Terminator Genesis. So that, that's the important <laughs> thing because what well, well, isn't quite frankly, um, yeah. I don't, yeah.
1: Know. <clears throat> I don't know. There's much I would add.
0: Yeah, so that that seems like a little bit of short shrift to give what was one of the biggest films of the era. But um, I I I think it's been a film that is so well known <laughs> to everyone. Have been written. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> we're not going to be adding a great deal to it. So yes, in the unlikely event that you somehow haven't seen Terminator Two, yes, you should see Terminator Two. It's good. <laughs> there. So we'll move on to another film we've uh, brushed up against, which which was the last action hero, mostly derided at the time. Um, as they've seen something of a renaissance, although I think that's again just more people being a bit more in tune with the postmodern uh, aesthetic that it brings to a lot of the, the action films. Wherein a, a kid, Danny, finds a, well, is given a magic ticket which allows him to enter the world of Jack Slater, which is basically an Arnie film. But so he's given license to go along with the ridiculousness inherent in most of these films, but. Trouble ensues when it's when one of the villains of the beast, Charles Dance. An excellent, excellent Charles Dance.
3: Uh, well, when is he ever not, really?
0: Yes, that's true. Uh, finds his way out into the real world where it turns out that bad guys can win. Yeah, I watched this again just earlier, because uh, I don't think I'd ever seen Last Action Hero until relatively recently, uh, you know, and um, when I say that, maybe ten years ago or so, something like that. I certainly uh, maybe just got that kind of first wave of reappraising of it. Uh and I quite enjoyed it then and I was glad to see that I enjoyed it just as much today when I enjoyed it when I watched it again. It's maybe a bit too long. Um 2 maybe. hours of film is just taking a little bit stretches the premise just a little mm-hmm. bit too far, but there's a lot of really great scenes in it and I think it's well worth watching for anyone who's got any interest in action films at all and of course it's one of the the, the many film well one of the films where Arnie's funniest in it mm-hmm. he's playing it fairly straight but it's just pitched absolutely perfectly and this is exactly the sort of thing he should be doing and not kindergarten cop or junior because they're dreadful <laughs> and this pretty funny all the way throughout i was quite yeah. impressed with it and still am today uh yeah got a lot of things to recommend in it good, good to see tom noonan again <laughs> and <laughs> yes yes uh, yeah, uh, i can quite understand why a lot of people didn't like it um if you're as with most of these I mean, it's basically a comedy as much as an action film so if you don't find this kind of thing funny then there's not really an awful lot else in there for you to enjoy but it kind of hits all the right spots for me. It's a nice little affectionate parody of the genre yeah. um, I think it does a lot of things quite well. As yeah. I say, could do with being half an hour shorter but yeah, pretty good. I still think it's a well, very interesting film and well worth taking a look at.
3: Yeah, I, I saw this in the cinema I think when it came out and I remember liking it but I didn't really get it back right. then uh i mean yeah. when what age would i have been when this came out 13 about that i think mm. um sounds about right so i like, wouldn't really have had the breadth of knowledge of cinema at the time mm. and certainly not that ability to appreciate the sort of the irony of it uh, but i do remember enjoying it uh, and then watched it again some years after and like oh this is this is great why did people not like this would, and, okay, I was 13, I had an excuse for not getting um all the kind of meta stuff about it and the, the parody and the um the self-referential nature of much of it, but it's just, it's such a a good deconstruction of all the tropes of, like, the buddy, com- buddy cop movie and the, the action hero movie and stuff, and then just with real moments of pathos in it too that Arnie delivers really well. I mean, you actually, you feel for his character... Um, when you realise it it's like he's talking about, like, he, does, he has no life and he pays a clerk at a store to call this, um, this station just because it actually has a, make it seem like he has a life and stuff. And they're like, okay, that can sort of be played for comedy, but at the same time, it's kind of sad. I don't think yeah. Arnie actually really pulls it off. I don't think he has some, it does have a bit of range and he does have really good comic timing. And this is the film that probably shows it best.
1: I don't think the seven got the props it deserved, and espe- especially not from me. Uh, when I saw it in the cinema, I was massively unimpressed, and I just didn't have the faculties to deal with anything meta at that point at all. Exactly. I, couldn't, I couldn't have explained to you what that meant and what that was, and I, I don't think a lot of people would. And then five and or does six... It does require
0: quite a lot of familiarity with the action genre. Yes, it does. So... And
1: one of the one of the problems that I have with it is that um, <clears throat> that it obviously relies on so much familiarity, but then... Some of it is, some of it's too far on the nose. Hmm. Um, throughout, it makes a point of spelling things out that really, if your audience is buying in in the first place, you would have to assume that they're already aware of. Yeah, um, that's one of the few criticisms I have for it. But you know, four, five, six years later, when people started, you know, with when did Scream come out? that's that's I'm when like people started 97 talking about,
3: something like that i think
1: yeah that's when people started talking about meta narratives and it and it became all of a sudden it became the cool new thing and i'm thinking to myself you know having watched this again probably, it it's probably about 10 years before i watched this again and i had very much the same revelation i like, how the hell has this not had its props it's actually mm-hmm. a really really solid piece of filmmaking yep. Um, and I absolutely understand why I didn't get it at the time, and I'm so glad that I went back and gave it a second chance. Otherwise, I'd still be calling it a piece of crap today, <laughs> based on what like 14, 13, 14 year old me had to say at the time. Um, and it, I just feel like I feel like it almost probably deserves to be recognised as the the film that kickstarted the whole the whole meta um, meta trend, and it never gets. It never gets that recognition. It all goes to Scream in other movies that came after um, thereafter. And I just think it's incredibly unfair. And again, I think it's just because, broadly speaking, at the time, and still to an extent now, um, people just don't take... If, if a film has Arnold Schwarzenegger's name attached to it, it's just not taken that seriously. Yeah. It's just not taken that seriously. And again, this is, this is easily one of McTiernan's... <laughs> best works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I would I would argue I know a lot of people have got a lot of love for um, Die Hard with a the vengeance these days. Um I was always ever so slightly disappointed by that film and I would I would argue that this is certainly a better film than that.
3: hmm No, so I was just gonna say I mean I would probably put it up there with Predator and uh the Hunt for Red October I, I mm-hmm. consider it that sort of level. I really, really enjoy this mm-hmm.
1: film. Absolutely. Absolutely um yeah and it just feels like it was always given short shrift but yes i know people have come back and started to reappraise it um certainly sooner than i did uh, so i'm not mm. going to say i was like first wave reappraiser or anything um but i'm glad that i listened to those people who went back because they were right
3: and it's always, it's nice to see people able to kind of poke fun at themselves too because the the scenes with the the real arnie inside last action hero too is yeah. like arnie is Portrayed as a kind of a buffoon there, and like with the references to Planet Hollywood and stuff, and his wife saying, "Oh, you're so embarrassing," and like, um <laughs> it's, you get the feeling it's like, yeah, he is. He does have a fair bit of self awareness, mm. and he's willing to kind of prick that pomposity.
1: I, I think that's only re- people are only really aware of that now. I wasn't sure whether we would talk about this uh, tonight or not um in the context of these these films, because obviously it comes a bit later. I feel like. On the topic of the man himself, that's a perception of him that I have I have certainly, my opinion, has swung wildly um, in the last seven years or so. Since his, since his divorce went through and we learned about some of the sort of shameful stuff that he got up mm. to. And he was very much forced publicly to um, put forth some comment on the way that he'd behaved. The, the book, the reason I bought the book is I thought uh, this is going to be a fascinating, and I can't believe I've not read it yet. I thought this is going to be a fascinating insight because very much it felt like actually he did tackle a lot of it head-on and, you know, some of the stuff that he did was inexcusable, but he did at least address it. And it seems to have been... The publishing of that book seems to have been a catharsis for him. And I feel like his public persona now is vastly different to how it was and how his reputation was previously. And I get the sense that it's almost like a weight has come off of his shoulders. But I'm not sure... I'm not sure how accurate that is in terms of how he lives his public life now um, and whether or not he was always just that way. But I think there was a very definite perception of him as being quite, um, quite an egomaniac, quite bullish on set, very much aware of how much authority he commanded um, in terms of his, his box office draw um, and being very combative with people. Um, and it's interesting to see a film at this point in his career where actually there is a su- suggestion there that he's very much aware of, of what his limitations are and that he is willing to poke fun at himself, um, which not, not everybody
0: is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a bold move for him to make this film, actually, when you think about it, because it, it to a degree, is basically poking fun at his meal ticket. Yeah, which he has made an awful lot of money, as we've discussed. Yeah. do
1: you remember all that <laughs> stuff that I've done that you've rewarded me handsomely
0: for? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it nonsense? I'm going to make a film where I point out how silly almost all of it is. Yeah. And
1: I, just, I just don't think people, I just don't think the general cinema going public were ready for that level of self-awareness at that point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: From from someone in his position, certainly.
0: Yeah. And it could, feasibly, have actually sunk his career entirely from that point onwards. Well, it almost uh, did. It, it came close, but you know the next one we'll talk about did pretty well. But um, mm. it's it's a it was a risk. Um, I don't think it paid off for him now, but I think when you view the long game from it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think it's got it's got some sense to it.
3: Mm-hmm. No, artistically I mean, it a, it paid off, maybe not career wise, but certainly in terms of no, creating something maker, worthwhile.
1: A, it was an absolute flop at the time. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I didn't think it helped too that it wasn't marketed particularly well, and Sony were just messing about with it and. There's definitely as you you both mentioned earlier there's a fair bit of flab to the film, um and I think that's because it went through a number of writers and a number of rewrites too that sort of took away a bit of the edge of it, but even for that, I still think it's a deeply successful film, even with those things um mm-hmm.
1: as an artistic endeavor, it has got a lot of value
0: yep mm. and uh, outside of the sphere of Arnie, um when you look at his name, I've forgotten the uh, the kid actor's name, but little Danny.
3: Um, fairly, mm-hmm.
0: so I'll take a word for it, <laughs> but yeah, a, a fairly precocious little kid that I didn't want to launch out of a window.
1: Yeah, so he's quite yeah, likable, actually, good. isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's he uh, doing these days?
3: No, was he in Free Willy? That kid, I think he might be, but I'm not sure. I'm not convinced if I've ever actually seen that film. But
0: anyway, Three Willy, the film of the Me Too movement.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> but yeah, yeah, he's he's not. Not yeah, some, not the sort of character you immediately want to drop kick or anything, is he?
2: <laughs> it's always
1: reassuring in the presence of a child. <laughs> there's a whole chapter in this book labelled The Last Action Hero. Wow. Just dipping into this would be uh, probably irresponsible of me for a quote, but... Oh, I didn't realise it came out around the time of Jurassic Park as well.
3: Yeah, the, um, the fact there's that La Brea thing was just coincidence. But again, kind I of think at the time, people kind of saw that as a, I don't know, an attempt to make fun of Jurassic Park or something. It's the idea I got from something I read recently, actually, but mm-hmm. it's just coincidence. Mm.
1: Wow. The criticism went way beyond Last Action Hero. My career was over. History. Writers attacked everything I'd ever done in movies as if to say, what do you expect from a guy who works with John Milius and talks about crushing his enemies? That's the world <laughs> that they That's the world they want to live in. We want to live in a compassionate world. Politics came into it, as long as I'd been on a roll, I'd never been attacked for being Republican, even though Hollywood and the uh, entertainment press are generally liberal. Now that I was down, they could unload. Reagan and Bush were out, Republicans were out, and so were mindless action movies and all the macho (laughs) Now was the time for Bill Clinton and Tom Hanks and movies that had meaning. So that's almost sad to hear him talk about Mm -hmm. it in that, that, um, that respect, because if only... You know, twenty twenty hindsight and all. I think there is a there is a good deal in some of his uh, of meaning in some of the stuff that he's produced. I'm not saying that the the meaning emanates from him, um, <laughs> but but to to label all of those movies mindless is a, is a mistake that I think a lot of people probably made.
0: Yeah, and and to I mean, if I if I recall what you're saying there correctly, to, to label what at least twelve years of proper film making mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a few odds and ends as meaningless. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bit harsh.
1: I don't think I don't <laughs> think you can you can work with Paul Verhoeven, um James Cameron and John McTiernan at that point in their careers and claim to not have done anything worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just a statistical <laughs> impossibility. <laughs> <laughs> that's just not gonna happen. Yes. Um, so <laughs> interesting, interesting way to feel about it.
0: So the last film we'll talk about today is something I might actually bring back up again. I'm desperate to do a film about Bond knockoffs. And here's James Cameron's attempt with True Lies, which is a Bond knockoff crossed with a romantic comedy, I suppose, (laughs) in a lot of respects. Very much a return to Arnie's action roots. It's um, what you'd basically get if you had a domestic James Bond played for laughs. Um, for my money, works really well. Another film I didn't know how well would hold up until I watched it again another day. I don't remember last time I saw True Lies. Um, probably not for a good decade mm-hmm. or so. More I'm not me. sure. Yeah, I'm not altogether sure I got much more from it watching it again, but I, I think I enjoyed it just as well today as I did the first time I saw it back in the day. Um, it's a really well put together piece of filmmaking. It's not James Cameron's best work, but it's really, really solid. Um, really, uh, I think it's quite well written. It's quite, quite smartly written. Um, I think Tom Arnold somehow doesn't annoy me, which is a rare thing indeed.
3: That's a miracle.
1: Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't <laughs> say the same, unfortunately.
3: But it's the strangest <laughs> casting, away, though. Tom Arnold? Why Tom Arnold? Yeah, As <laughs> with, with you, Scott. He doesn't bother me in this, but watching it again last um, week or just a couple of days ago, actually, for the first time in a it's, long time. It's like,
0: why? there's no one else available? Yeah,
3: I've never it's forgotten he like, was in it, but I feel like, yeah. but Tom Arnold, why? Why Tom Arnold?
1: I think True Lies, I mean, I remember going to see it at the cinema at a time when, and again, try to think what age it must have been. When did True Lies come out? It would out, have been f- uh,
3: 94, so we would have been 14 or 15.
1: Yeah. At a time when it was it was still difficult for me to maintain attention for more than about ninety minutes, and it and at two hours twenty, I would still suggest that this film needs half an hour locked off the running time. Yeah. Um, it's very bloated in that respect. It feels like three great action sequences padded out with about um, about an hour and a half of just gas in between. Yeah.
3: It's, <laughs> it suffers really because there, there's a very definite end point after the bomb goes off, mm-hmm. and then the film carries on with the scene with the higher jump jets like you really feel that they decided they wanted to put this harrier jump jets you know because it would be really cool and but like it, it doesn't really it fit with the rest of oh yeah but it, just well, like,
1: it was really cool but yeah it, it's, it kind of um <laughs> it, it takes it just a degree or two too far i think <laughs> also, um, a
0: fundamental misunderstanding of harrier jump jets work but
1: don't,
0: <laughs> don't let that get in the way of a cool action scene no is, and also at the
1: time as well if i recall correctly was this not the first um piece that uh, James Cameron had um, created Digital Domain at that point, hadn't he? Wasn't this the first film that they worked on, essentially? Um, I can't remember if he stole. It was his um, his VFX company, um, and I can't I can't remember if he stole a load of guys from ILM, essentially. Uh, but technology showcase wise, I wouldn't be surprised to find that some of the decision around that was just. Driven by wanting a, a tech a tech demo, basically, <laughs> which is essentially what that last half hour feels like. But it, it's when it's fun, it is rip roaring yeah. fun. It's just not paced like any other Cameron movie, really, that I can think of, and that's always been my problem with it. Tom Arnold aside, who I just can't stomach at all, um, that horrible, com- just obligatory comedy sidekick, everything on the nose, everything telegraphed. I just think is a real. A real disastrous hallmark, that um, a black a black spot in so many films from this era. But if you're if you're willing to set that aside, there is so much to enjoy about this. I just feel like the the editing process could have been a lot lot tighter on mm-hmm. it, and it would have been yeah. an infinitely more enjoyable movie overall, as opposed to just a film that I basically want to watch about. I basically want to watch about forty minutes of this film and skip everything <laughs> else in between.
3: Yeah, and. So, there are just some really good moments, too. Perhaps anything with Bill Paxton's great. Uh, oh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis oh, okay. is fantastic in this. Uh, I guess there's actually real chemistry between her and Arnie, and he's just... Mm. It's just fun, but, yeah, it's it could do with some judicious editing.
1: And, again, a, a sort of subtle level of self-awareness on his part. Um, not as obvious as something in Last Action Hero, but, you know, an, enough to demonstrate that... Um, that there there would have be been mileage in giving him more opportunities to do different things. I think mm-hmm. at this point in his career, as opposed to later now that he's retired from politics again, um, and he seems to be doing more interesting stuff. I think it probably wouldn't have been the right time to do that stuff necessarily. And if he was interested in maintaining that doubling his pay scale thing, because I don't think that would ever have happened if he'd if he'd branched out. Oh, you can
0: only do that a number of times before you get more money than everyone else has on the planet. Yeah, it <laughs>
3: becomes like that um, one grain of sand on a no, or grain of ice on a chessboard <laughs> thing, doesn't it? I, yeah.
0: I don't. I
1: don't mean literally, of course. <laughs> I mean in terms of his in terms of his um, career progression generally and the success. Yeah. He had financially that would never have happened if he had had opportunities to step outside of typecasting earlier. Typecasting was definitely a benefit to this guy for a period of about. 12 to 14 years, yes. <laughs> um, and he profited greatly from it. But it's, it's nice to see him try more interesting stuff now. And I think now's the right time for him to try it, to be honest.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, particularly if you look at the way his career uh, went after True Lies, not to sort of not to curtailed discussion on that one, but you oh. get into stuff like you know, Jingle the Way, Batman oh. and Robin, Eraser, Eraser Ed, with the, the, with the Eraser with the
3: tremendous CGI crocodile, which, um, you we know were talking about the CGI and things like Terminator 2 which at the time were groundbreaking and looked great at the time
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> the,
3: even at the time the crocodile invader did not look good yeah. You know that um, episode of Red... And there was no reason to have it other than for a laugh no. as well. You know that episode of Red <laughs> Dwarf where Rumor surfs a crocodile, Scott? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's, it's basically as convincing as a crocodile eraser.
0: <laughs> it, it might as well have been a rubber crocodile being thrown in from off screen. Yeah, but I was... Um, <laughs> it might, have been as, might as well have been a bucket of froze, <laughs> frozen bees. free <laughs> bees, bees yeah. just thrown in. Yeah, it's...
3: I remember the times I think it was terrible and, and I was talking to one of our... Our regular contributors, Matt Toller, on Twitter a few weeks ago, about this. He'd been rewatching watching Arnie stuff and he'd watched Eraser. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd largely forgotten about the existence of Eraser. I hadn't thought about it for such a long time. But since as as he mentioned that, I was like, oh yeah, now I could just go back to my 25 year long, uh, um, whatever it is, 22 year long wondering about how on earth that film cost $90 million. Where did that money go? Because <laughs> cocaine's not that expensive. <laughs> because it didn't go on screen.
1: It can't have been cheap to build real rail guns. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I thought that film had real guns. Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> the whole crux of it. How bizarre! How <laughs> b- absolutely bizarre!
0: But back, just taking it back to True Lies, a film that I think uh, it's a rare film that I wouldn't actually minded seeing. Be James Cameron come back to at some point. I think you could iterate on this and actually produce a really good franchise, the way that... um, Avatar isn't... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I I was thinking more the way that Tom Cruise came back to the kind of Mission Impossible thing and drove that forward and created Mm. what has actually become one of the more reliable franchises in history, which you would not have thought from the uh, Brian De Palma film back in... What was that? Mm. Five? Um, But, yeah... uh, I think there's there's lots of like, nice little kernels here I could have done with seeing like, you know, a, a, a husband-wife team becoming a kind of secret agent sort of thing. I was that, left wide
2: open for yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it's got... I think this had legs. Um, it could well have exploited and uh, maybe tightened up, as you say, but yeah, it's it's not a bad film. It suffers a little bit from execution. I think it it really could have done with being uh, iterated on. I would really like to have seen sequels to this, but
1: yeah. still, I it, almost, mean, it almost feels like James Cameron's heart wasn't in it necessarily, uh, which is yeah. a weird thing to say about anything James Cameron does. I
3: don't know, um, but I wonder. If, I'd
1: love to read more about it, actually. Yeah,
3: that's only a couple of years before Titanic and him. So you, and you know, before Titanic, yeah. he was doing his actual diving to find the wreck of the Titanic thing. So you wonder whether maybe his mind was on that. But it's also, it is the, the start of Cameron beginning to just be I don't know to lose some discipline or something maybe because it's we're already talking about true lies being over long and then you start heading towards Titanic which is you know how long is that a film three and a half hours so about three hours 29 minutes too long but um just and it's gonna and then Avatar just which lasts eight days uh he's you know beginning to lose a bit of discipline there I think and that's maybe the beginning of that but I can see what you mean, Craig. that maybe his heart's not quite in it um, when he's looking forward.
0: I should point out the elephant in the room is that much as I think there's consensus in this table, at least, that we don't like Titanic or Avatar all that much, but they are like (laughs) two of the highest grossing films of all time. Yes, I know. They did make (laughs) all those money,
3: yes, I know. I Um, I mean, in Titanic, the action scenes are good because James Cameron can do a good action scene, it's just like all the story bits in between are terrible.
0: (sighs) Yes, yes.
3: But at least that film isn't burdened with Sam Worthington, unlike Avatar. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, I'm just thinking of the fact there's like another two Avatar films coming out, and, like, and I can't understand why so many people watched the first one.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: Oh, rather because we, you and I, I don't know if you saw it, Craig, you and I watched Avatar, Scott at least. So I know why people watched the one time, but but that you don't make that much money without people watching it multiple times. That's uh, never understood. Yeah. Um, it was bum numbing.
0: Yes. Um. Well. I guess we'll see how uh, was it? Battle Angel Alita. Battle, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Um, that's coming out end of this year. Let's let's see where he gets to with this with his uh, CG um, obsession. But uh, yeah,
1: I'm already. Th- well, it's it's not his movie though, is it? He's not directing it. I don't think. Isn't so.
0: he? I thought he was. Uh,
1: Hang on, I thought he'd he'd, all, he'd had interest oh, in no, developing yeah, no, it you- for a long, long time.
0: No, it's Robert Rodriguez. He produced yeah. it. Um, he was he was attached to it for so long that I've kind of forget that he'd uh, been taken out of it. I just, um, I, just I, I,
1: yeah. I watched the trailer recently, and I just find that big eyes aesthetic very egregious, and I have no interest in watching that <laughs> yes. for three hours.
2: <laughs>
1: no, I was never a fan of the original anime either. To be fit, which is um, sacrilege in some circles to say such a thing, but
0: I, I don't think I've seen any of it.
3: I I generally have no idea what you're talking about because I just don't pay attention to that stuff anymore. It's like I just wait for stuff to appear in cinemas and I watch it.
1: No, that was uh, Battle Angel Elite. It was like first wave import anime. I don't remember that at all.
3: But there was so there was so much. And to be honest, I think um, Wicked City has just destroyed parts of my mind from that time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can we can we do a really bad but so bad it's good anime episode? Yes. Yes, Vampire Wars.
3: Wicked City, Uru Sokadoji. Yeah, in fact, can we not... That's so bad, it's yeah, bad. Yes, so <laughs> I was going to say, so bad, it's so bad, it's bad. Let's not do that.
1: Well, my voice is in the state of sin, can I just say, Commissioner Lazar,
2: <laughs> this... <laughs> this man is <laughs>
0: <laughs> So I think that'll wrap us up on this uh, whirlwind tour of 10 years of Arnie. Certainly he's you can't deny the man's impact on the People's cinematic faces. landscape. Uh, yes, if, if he chose to do so. Um, I think we mentioned a few parts of the Twitter feedback before now, but I think perhaps one thing we'll say as a point of discussion uh, Ray Finkel, um, sg one on the Twitters. I like all those shows. Um, simply about Arnie, he's one of a kind. Uh, do we agree? Is he one of a kind? Has there been no obvious successor to. His action thrown or has action just changed so much that it's not obvious anymore what a successor would be? I think it might be. I don't, I don't, there's never been a clear lo- passing has, of the baton to anyone. Has
1: there, has there been anyone of foreign origin who's been assimilated into American culture so successfully and with so much pride on that audience's part as Schwarzenegger?
0: I can't think that there is.
1: I think what's unique about him is that he's, 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 he's first generation immigrant. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, um, there's probably all sorts of interesting things we could say about that in the current climate. Yeah. Um, And he's a Republican. Yeah. There's all sorts of things we could say about that. But in terms of his, um, in terms of a cinematic legacy, I do, I do think he's pretty unique. I do think he's pretty unique. He's, he's, Occupied a space that has been reserved exclusively for all American heroes, without being all American. <laughs> I think he might be the only person who's ever done that.
0: Yeah, and he may be the last. Uh, just, <laughs> j- j- not not even nuclear war breaks out. Huh? Not even as a political comment, but just because of the way mm. the, the cinematic landscape has changed, you just yeah. don't get this sort of action film anymore. Even all of our big, all of our big tent piece uh, mm-hmm. pieces. Tend to come from either the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Mm -hmm. some other cinematic universe, the Star Wars universe, something like Mm -hmm. that. It's it's something that's more of a team effort, if you like. Mm -hmm. There's never been one singular focus on an awful lot of that. I mean, the closest you might there's not even a closest one in something like somehow Fast and the Furious is a thing, Um, but even then, that's almost as much about a team effort as it is any one person in particular. So, well, we know what those films are about. (laughs) Family,
1: yeah, family. Oh dear! Uh, yeah, I think he is unique.
0: Yeah, uh, I think we may never see his like again, even though he's still going. But uh, <laughs> certainly not in the same capacity as he <laughs> yeah. was back no. in the seera.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't wish him any ill. No, no. I think there's there's a lot there's a lot there's a lot questionable about the man, but there's also an awful lot to to commend about him currently as well. I think. Um, yes.
0: And uh, well, that's yeah, another podcast for another day. Yeah, so as I mentioned, there's there's some duff films, and as like I say, I don't think there's much point going into any of the other films than we've discussed today. Um, I'm certainly not recommending anyone go back and see Razor or anything like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous run for over a decade of uh, really powerful output, and yes, a, a legend of the action genre that we will probably never see again. Um, I think we've covered a lot of the other things we'd uh, feedback on Twitter. We've mentioned the guys from uh, At Chopper Fireball, Exploding Fire Helicopter Podcast. I think we've uh, mentioned their input previously, and also uh, Lewis, a uh, young actress at Sonic Yoda on Twitter. Um, not just uh, talking about the uh, Commando, but. He says that Predator feels special because it makes a really small-scale condensed threat feel incredibly dangerous, which, uh, yes, we are like, I <laughs> much agree with the whole uh, the claustrophobic <laughs> feel of a jungle is, uh, works very well for yeah, It does
3: pull off the quite impressive trick of making something quite so open feel claustrophobic, because it's yeah it's a yeah. whole rainforest, it ought not to be possible, <laughs> really.
0: Yeah, uh, He likes that stash Hero a lot, a film so throwaway and trashy he shouldn't have such gorgeous cinematography, which is normally we touched on, but yes, those long shots. Uh, Yeah, it's a a pretty well put together film. I just wish it was trimmed a little bit. And he also admires The Running Man for successfully making the video game Smash TV into a movie. Also, (laughs) (laughs) old lady swearing is always funny. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Oh dear. That will conclude proceedings for today. Thank you very much for your attention. Uh, we'll be back with you in a, a mere ten days. Until uh, such time, we'll bid you adieu. Hi, I've been Scott Morris. Over there has been Craig Eastman. Uh, bye-bye. And as far as I recall, this should still be true to Uh I, I
3: can't back it up with paperwork, but I think you're right.
0: Yes, let's just say that's confirmed. Ta-da!